Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. I have a confession that I want to make to you this morning, but first, I would like to ask if you would make a confession to me. Hope that's okay. How many of you find evangelism super easy? Now, before you raise your hand and, and, and answer the question, I want to make sure we're kind of speaking the same language. When I say evangelism, I don't mean anything particularly fancy. I mean talking about Jesus to people who don't know him, sharing the good news, sharing the gospel, sharing your faith, uh, sitting or standing in front of a person who, who doesn't believe or you don't know if they believe and, and talking about who Jesus is and why he matters, his life, his death, resurrection, those sorts of things. And by easy, I just mean easy, like stress-free, comes pretty natural to you. You could do it all day, every day. You probably evangelize 10 people already today, that kind of thing, Okay. So, knowing what we mean, how many of you would say that you find evangelism super easy? All right, awesome. More hands in the other services. Very cool. Still far in the minority, kind of like what I expected to see. Now, here's my confession. Like, I'm with the majority. Me neither. I I don't find this to be particularly easy. I'm right there with you. Uh, You know, I, I love the gospel. Let me make sure I'm clear. I love the gospel. I believe it with everything in me. The good news that even though we rejected this God who made us and loved us, that he didn't leave us in our sin, didn't leave us in our mess, but instead sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be delivered back to God, be forgiven of our sins, be reconciled to the Father, live in a joyful relationship with him that extends to our eternity. Like, I love the gospel. And I think it's a critical message for anyone with DNA. Like everybody I see, I think, man, I hope you hear the gospel and I hope you respond faithfully to it. I love the gospel and I love the idea of sharing the gospel and I'm finding like a group. I mean, a decent portion of my job is to stand up in front of groups of people and and to explain the significance of Jesus, the impact of Jesus, knowing that some in the room don't know him, haven't received him, don't follow him and I'm good with that. But you put me in like an individual conversation with one person and ah, I just kind of freeze up a little bit. It's, it's not as stress-free. It's stressful. It's, it's not something that's easy. And you know what's the worst for me is on a plane, actually? Do you ever experience this? Like every time I get on a plane, I feel this nudge, like you should probably talk to this person. This is your only shot. You don't know. Like their eternity depends on it, you know? And I'm thinking to myself, oh, I don't know what to say. Like I want to say, hey, if you want to talk to Jesus, tap me on the shoulder. Otherwise, like you're good, I'm good, we're good, you know? <laughs> And I know that's probably kind of rude, so I probably should start with something such as, what's your story? But if I'm on a plane, the last thing I want is a stranger saying, hey, what's your story? You know, like that's not what I want to happen in that moment. If if somebody asked me that, you know what I'd say? I wouldn't say this, but I think this. All you need to know about my story is that the main character is an introvert who cherishes time on a plane because there's nothing to do but read. You know what I mean? Like that's what I want to say. And the next chapter is leave me alone, please. That's my story. But I'm sitting there, you know, and, 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 and I feel myself self pulled in this direction. And I'm wrestling with, do I say something, do I not, something, that kind of thing. So what I'm not going to do today is try to make anybody feel guilty about the fact that you don't speak to every stranger or every person you know and, and make sure you get a chance to share the gospel with them. Now, that's, not, that's not a guilt trip. Nor am I going to pretend like I'm good at this, like this is something that I've mastered or even come close to mastering. I'm, I haven't, I'm not I'm, I'm right there with the majority of you. This is something that I find challenging on a regular basis. But what I do want to do is, is open up the Word of God, open up the Bible, and let it challenge us uh, with its message and with its truth and with its power. 
uh, us who are in this same boat together. As Adam mentioned, we're in a series called Actors, and we're looking at the book of Acts, but we're not like walking through every verse. We're looking at different characters, and we're doing these character studies asking, asking, what can we learn by looking at their lives about how to live our lives well? And as we've gone through this, we've, we've realized more and more that as much as Acts does tell us the stories of real people, man, it's so much more about the Holy Spirit. And in many ways, what we're doing as we study these characters on a human level is studying the character and workings of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We, we kicked off a few weeks ago, Mark talked about Peter, this man who before he got the Holy Spirit was this always well-intentioned, trying to do good, but, some, but often like in the moment of crisis, falling on his face, like this kind of a guy, like at the end of the day, when, when, when the heat comes, he's a little afraid. And then he gets the Holy Spirit and the heat doesn't bother him. He's not afraid of anything. He's boldly talking about Jesus, serving Jesus, living Jesus out loud publicly. Doesn't matter who's watching. He's not worried about the consequences. Pretty cool story. Moves from fearful to bold. Then last week we looked at Stephen, a man who, who lost his life because of his faith in Jesus. And we reflected on this truth that, that the Holy Spirit enabled Stephen and enables us to suffer like Jesus if, if the situation demands it. And today I want to look at two stories. We're going to look at, first of all, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and then the story of Peter and Cornelius. Those are the two stories that we're going to be examining together today. And what we're going to see in both of them is something about this uh, this idea that the Holy Spirit turns normal people like us into evangelists, into people who share the gospel. Uh, so let me pray for us and then we'll jump in. Father God, thanks for the chance to talk today about your word. I pray that you would communicate to us, to our minds, to our hearts, what you want us to hear and see. We, we're not, we wouldn't be here if we weren't to at some level interested in you or trying to be interested in you or or we're at least here in the room. And so we pray that you would help us to um, walk away with a reminder or a better understanding of what you're doing in us and through us. And, and uh, we pray that you would enable us to, to follow in the ways in which you'd want us to do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, open up your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 8. We're going to look first at the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. I'm going to read a portion of that chapter here in a bit, the second half of the chapter. But first, let me tell you a little bit about these two people. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip was a leader in the church, but he wasn't like an official leader. He was someone who was well-respected and who helped take care of people. If you remember from last week, we, we, we discussed how there was this problem in the church and widows weren't all getting enough food. And so the apostles who were in charge of everything said, we got, we got too much to do. So find us seven men whom everybody respects. They can oversee the food distribution and, and everybody will be taken care of. And they've said, these seven guys, we all think well of them. Stephen was the first one on the list. We saw what happened to him last week. Philip was the second one. So here's a man who everybody respects, like they're looking at him going, yeah, he's going to take care of us, you, yeah, he's going to take care of us, cool. Well-respected, spirit-filled, wise, gracious God. Well, after Stephen was put to death, things got difficult there in Jerusalem where the Christians were, and there was a great persecution that broke out against them, and so they kind of scattered, went every different direction. And God's like, you want to you try to beat up my people? Watch this. And as they scattered, they went and took the gospel with them to all these new places, north, south, east, and west. And Philip went north just a bit to the land of Samaria. It's kind of the middle of the, if you picture Israel, it's the middle of the land of Israel. And at the time, uh, there, there, there lived the Samaritans, this group of people who did not get along with the Jews down south. All sorts of reasons for this, a story too long for right now, but suffice it to say, it was something like what we would call racism, although there were some differences to it, but they didn't get along. They did not see each other in, in good terms. 
But Philip's like, hey, I got Jesus, so I'll take him to anybody. So he goes to the Samaritans and he preaches the gospel and God does powerful things and people get saved and put their faith in Jesus and get baptized. And it's, it's a pretty cool ministry. First half of chapter eight, you can read it later. He's very successful. It's wonderful. Good things happen in Samaria. That's Philip. So he's one of the seven scattered in the persecution, took the gospel to Samaria and experienced great success. The Ethiopian eunuch was a very different character. He was from Ethiopia and he was a eunuch. I'm not sure if you put those things together, but that's kind of his story. And he was in Jerusalem uh, on, a, on, a, on a journey trying to find God. Now, he's about, he's somewhere in between 12 and 1400, maybe 1500 miles away, depending on where he lives. So long journey, one year it would have taken him to travel uh, from where he was in, at home in Ethiopia to Jerusalem. And he was a eunuch, which, we'll leave the details aside, meant he was not able to produce children, so he worked with the queen. We don't know if he was born this way or if he was this way by surgery, but he was safe for the queen, and so he had a pretty high position in her court. He's been interested in God, apparently, because he made a really long journey to come to Jerusalem to try to get close to God. But when he got there, he would have been disappointed. Now, I don't know how much of the Bible he knew coming in, but there's a law in the Old Testament that says that eunuchs, there's a certain point to which they have to stop, and they can't go any further into the presence of God. This guy travels over a thousand miles, year long, lots of time, lots of money, comes up and experiences a wall this far and no further. You got to stand on the outside and look at God from a distance. Okay, no doubt disappointing. But he spent a lot of money, bought a scroll of the book of Isaiah and started heading back home. So we have Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Let's pick up the story at the point where the two of them meet. Uh, Acts chapter eight, starting in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now we got to make sure that we're picturing this as a real event. Like picture you're Philip and you're experiencing this successful ministry. And then he's like, hey, I want you to move to Wichita. What? Or I want you to go on the highway in between here and Warrensburg. (laughs) What? Why? Philip does it. So he goes and and he says, verse 27, he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So Philip has, has been taken you know, from the place where he was and he goes to this street and that's the guy I want you to talk to. So all right, I'm gonna go up and stand near it. Now you gotta understand, uh, chariots move faster than people. You know what I mean? They're pulled by, by horses, so they're not exactly like slow. So Philip can't just saunter on up and say, hey, he's got to catch up to it. So the next verse says, then Philip ran up to the chariot. So Philip's like taking off. Hey, hey, what are you reading? Is what he says. So he looks up in there. This guy's reading the Bible and look at what happens next. He heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. Uh, he was led like a, this is a prophecy from Isaiah. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip was like, so glad you asked. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? 
And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Uh, when they came up out of the water, the spirit suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. So, Philip is scattered in the persecution, experiences success in ministry, is sent to this road where he sees this eunuch who's on the back end of a long journey, one year both ways, came to meet God, found a barrier, turned around, is reading the Bible and doesn't really know what exactly is going on. And so Philip goes up to him and he explains to him the meaning of the passage that he's reading from the Bible. And and this eunuch sees and understands like, this is why I came. This is what I'm looking for. This is God coming and saving even me. Let's not waste any time. Let's get down. I'm gonna hop in the water. You baptize me. We're good. Then Philip disappears, goes off to be somewhere else, transported by the spirit other places. And the Ethiopian eunuch happens along his way happily. And according to tradition, he is the person who first took the gospel to Africa, where it has been growing ever since, doing quite well on the continent of Africa. Pretty cool story. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, story number one. I want now to tell you another story from a couple chapters later, chapter 10 of Acts, of Peter and Cornelius. Let me again introduce you to the characters. Cornelius was a Gentile, which means he was not a member of God's family, not, not one of God's people, far away from God. He was not a Jew. He was at a distance from God. But as you'll read here in a second in the story, he was what they called the God-fearer. Now we talk about a God-fearer being God-fearing in general terms, somebody who respects God. It meant something specific back then. A person who was not a part of God's family, was Gentile, but was interested in the things of God, yet did not fully commit to this God who he claimed to believe in. So let's pick up the story by looking at Cornelius' vision. Acts chapter 10, here's what happens to Cornelius. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. So he was a military leader, and he was part of an official bodyguard for the emperor. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. And the angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon, the tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that happened and sent them to Joppa. So Cornelius is a person who's far from God. He's not a member of God's people, but he's interested in God. He's kind of coming up, he's praying, he's doing some good things, but he hasn't yet fully committed. He's praying one day, he sees this vision, go get this guy. He sends his people to go get this man. This man's name is Peter. Many of you know Peter, if you don't know him, he's kind of the Charles Barkley of the apostles. He would just say stuff, you know, just words are coming out of his mouth. And he had been kind of a a goof, but then he he was saved by Jesus. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he wasn't perfect, but he became a pretty powerful guy. He's he's a leader of the church at this time in history. And the the day after all this happened with Cornelius, Peter is up on the roof praying at the typical time of prayer around noon. And he has a vision. I'm not going to tell you all the details of the vision. You can read about it in Acts 10. But basically in the vision, God shows him that all the laws that he'd been following up to this point, in the Old Testament, a lot of those laws were no longer in play. Not because God changed his mind, but because they were designed to get us to Jesus. Now Jesus is here. Now we're in a different chapter in the story, so to speak. 
So he has this vision about how the food that wasn't kosher is now fine to eat. And he's wrestling with God about this and he's thinking about this. And as he's wrestling with God and processing what he's seen, an angel comes to him in the vision and says, there's some men downstairs who want to take you somewhere. Go with them. So Peter's like, okay. So he goes downstairs, says, you guys the guys? They say, yes. Starts the journey. Heads 30 miles back up the coast from Joppa, where he is, to Caesarea and approaches Cornelius' house. Now, Cornelius comes out front and kneels down before him. He's a military man. He knows how to respect authority. So he kneels down. Peter's like, stand up, man, stand up. I am am just a man like you, no different. Let's figure out why I'm here. So I want to pick up that story in chapter 10, verse 27. Let's see what happens as they walk into the house. Chapter 10, verse 27, there it is. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you're well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I shouldn't call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent me? Peter's learning. God's reaching out to everybody. Cornelius answered, three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And then Peter began to speak. And I want you to notice, all he does is just tell the story of Jesus' life. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter's preaching the gospel. He says, y'all know about how God sent Jesus and he's doing all these good things. You've heard the stories and how he died and then rose again. This was for you because if you put your faith in him, you too can find forgiveness of the sins you know you've committed. And at that point, while he's speaking, the Holy Spirit just shows up and fills the room, does some crazy stuff, some stuff they have to look at and say, man, this is, they're speaking in other languages. The Holy Spirit is moving. God is moving in these people. They are putting their faith in him. Let's not wait another minute. Let's go find some water, get them baptized, and we'll celebrate and have a party. That's what happens in the story of Peter and Cornelius. Two stories. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, Peter and Cornelius. These two stories uh, reveal to us one critical fact, that God is always building bridges to those who are far from him. Always. God is always building bridges to people who are far from him. Now, we tend to build walls, do we not? A couple of weeks ago, about a month ago now, Mark and I had an opportunity to do a week-long trip uh, touring Israel. 
seeing the different sites of the Bible. It was amazing. It was hard to describe, overwhelming. Spent some days in the north, spent some days in the south. And, and one of the many things that I noticed were walls. All these ancient cities and ruins, walls were a big deal. And I remember we got, early on, the guide explained how in this one place, you would see not just a wall, but two walls. And I'm not talking like sheetrock or like wood paneling. We're talking huge stones. So they built a wall, and they're about six to eight feet, and they built another wall. Why would you build a double wall? Well, one, because the soldiers can actually like live in there and stay in there and stand guard as part of where they live. But also, if they knock down the first wall, then we're still protected by a second wall. Walls everywhere. I remember standing in the old city of Jerusalem, and it's up on a hill. I don't know if you know that. It's up on a hill, and no matter where you're coming from, you don't say you're going down to Jerusalem. Even if you're coming south, you say we're going up to Jerusalem. One, because they consider it the most important place in the world. Two, because it's up on a hill. It's kind of high up in the air. Now, if you're standing up on a hill and you look around, usually you can see everything all across the whole horizon. But not when you're up on the hill in Jerusalem. Why? Because the walls. And it has this strange effect. I did not expect to feel this. When you're inside the walls, you kind of feel like you're in another world. You're safe. You're protected. You're secluded because those walls are going to keep people on the outside who should be on the outside and keep people on the inside who should be on the inside. We build walls, do we not? And there were walls in Jerusalem that kept some people far from God. Walls in the first century that the Ethiopian eunuch ran up against and realized, I can't go any further beyond this wall. Walls that Cornelius saw when he recognized, like, I'm almost there, but there's this, like, barrier. There's this wall standing in front of me. And we still sometimes make walls today. They're often, uh, they're often like unwritten rules. You come to church and uh, you ever come to church and like, I don't know if I'm wearing the right clothes. I don't know if I'm like, you know, I don't know if I am driving the right car. I don't know if I'm going to use the right language. I might as well just keep my mouth shut because we make these walls often out of things that God hasn't told us to care about. And if we're supposed to care about them, not all that much. We make them wall. We put barriers in between people and God. Yeah, people do this. We build big, ugly walls that keep the outsiders on the outside and whether or not that's how you operate or I operate, we have to constantly remind ourselves that that's not how God operates. God builds bridges, not just occasionally, but all the time. God is always building bridges to outsiders. God is always building bridges to people who are far from him, who don't know him in his personal relationship of saving faith. That's what he's doing in this room and in every other room, like right now and all the time. Sometimes they're, they're quick bridges because he can get to people fast, pretty immediate. Other times the bridges take centuries to build, to reach whole people groups who don't know a word about Jesus. It doesn't matter. In the end, the same thing's happening. God is building walls. God is building bridges because that is what God does. Now, I'm tempted to keep saying it over and over in as many ways as I can, but I don't want to annoy you. It's just that it's so easy to forget or take for granted. It's so easy to forget about the fact that we have a tendency to put up barriers. God has a tendency to break them down. That's why we chose to look at two stories today, not just one. It probably would have been easier from a time standpoint to just focus on maybe Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch or Peter and Cornelius. But if you're like me, you hear one story and you think, okay, that happened one time. Cool. Amen. No big deal. And then I go on with my life. I had to get at least two because there's about a dozen in Acts all throughout the book where the same thing's happening where God is reaching out to people who are far from him. And we grab two just to make the point that this happens more than once. This happens all the time. You got one story of the early church and for them evangelism is an obsession. And I just got to say this. I don't like statements like this, but I just got to say this. I kind of think we don't talk about evangelism enough anymore. 
I, I, in my line of work, you hear that kind of junk all the time. Here's the problem with the church. Dur, dur, dur. I hate that stuff, but I have to admit that this one I think is true. I remember growing up, I always heard about you got to share your faith. You got to share your faith. It's part of being a follower of Jesus is that you tell other people about the salvation that's available in him. I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't hear it as much as I used to. I think I know some of the reasons why. I mean, the world has changed. It's different. Our proselytizing isn't exactly welcome in most parts of our world, most parts of our culture. And to be honest, I think for a lot of us, we looked at the poor methods of of people in the past and we didn't want anything to do with them. People just throwing the gospel up in other people's faces with no regard for them as an actual person. I remember one time I came out of a movie theater in high school. I don't remember what movie I'd watched, but I came out and this girl just stuffs this tract in my face and it looks like the Grim Reaper on the front. And she's like, if you died tonight, where would you go? And I'm thinking, man, I don't even know you. <laughs> like, I'm a, like, I believe in Jesus. Back up a little bit. This is weird. Like, why is the Grim Reaper on this piece of paper? This is so strange. And I can't imagine the impact that would have on somebody who didn't have anything to do with Jesus. It would just seem bizarre. And for a time, I too looked at that and said, I don't want anything to do with that. Like, that's not the way this should be done. But maybe we've overcorrected. Maybe we've swung the pendulum just a little bit too far in that other direction. Just because you've seen other people swing and miss doesn't mean you should just leave the bat on your shoulder. Again, one story of the early church, and evangelism is something they do all the time. Let's not let the bad methods of others keep us from doing what we can. I remember, I don't know, I don't know if you'd recognize the name uh, Dwight Moody. He was Billy Graham before Billy Graham. He was an evangelist in the 19th century, internationally popular, traveled all over the world, and his whole life was about telling others about Jesus, telling people who didn't know Jesus about Jesus and inviting them to follow him. And he used all different sorts of methods in doing this. And one time there was this lady who came up to him after a conference and said, Mr. Moody, I don't really like your evangelism methods very much. And he asked her, well, okay, so like, how do you do evangelism? And she said, well, I don't. And he said, well, I like my methods better than your lack of methods. And he kept about his work. I think about how just a few weeks ago, we saw, I don't even know how many middle schoolers hop into that water and get baptized into Jesus, stand up in front of all of us and say, I believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. Love that moment. Why'd they do that? Because somebody walked across the bridge to them and said, God wants to invite you to come to know him. You've rejected him, but he has sent his son to save you. And if you'll put your faith in him, you can come to know him in a real relationship and actually do life with him now and forevermore. And they heard that offer and they didn't want to refuse it. So they walked across and said yes to Jesus. That's awesome. But a cynic could look at that and be cynical. Well, they're just kids, you know, what do they know? Probably just making an emotional decision. They were raised with this stuff. So it's just been brainwashed since they were born. Or maybe it's peer pressure. All their friends are doing it, so why wouldn't they jump in? Or they just came from this big event with lights and sound. It was probably more about the lights and sound than it actually was about something real happening. Yeah, a cynic could look at this and be cynical, but I look at this and recognize that even if some of those things are slightly true, God has always drawn straight lines with crooked sticks, okay? He's always used imperfect methods to reach imperfect people. And I'm fine with it and I'm good with it because he'll make a bridge out of anything, If it means he can get to somebody who's far from him. He saved those students just like he saved the eunuch, just like he saved Cornelius before them. This is apparently one of God's favorite things to do. So swing away with patience and wisdom and discernment and tact, no question. Sometimes you got to wait for the moment. These people were ready in the stories we've read. They they were primed and ready to hear the message. Sometimes you got to wait for the moment, but sometimes we let the moment pass by. What good is a bridge that nobody walks across? 
God wants to make outsiders insiders. God's always building bridges to people who are far from him. That's the fact. And the challenge that corresponds to this fact is simple. When you see one, walk across it. You find yourself in front of a bridge, take a step and then another step and keep on going. Now this one challenge comes at us in two different ways depending on who we are. It comes at those of us who are on the inside in one particular way. So let me speak to y'all first. To those of you who say, yes, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm in. Why is it that sometimes when, when God whispers into our brain, hey, I want you to go talk to that person, start a conversation, see if you can maybe talk about me. Why is it that most of the time that happens, we resist, we hold back, we say nothing when we think we should say something? I'm sorry, I'm sure there's plenty of reasons, but I like to kind of try to will it down a little bit. And I see a handful of reasons even in these stories. Comfort's probably one of them. It would have been very easy for Philip to say to the angel of the Lord, listen, like things are good here in Samaria. I'm experiencing some success. Just send somebody else and let me do what I'm doing over here. Like let's leave well enough alone. I feel that a little bit. Let's leave well enough alone in this relationship I have with my neighbor or maybe in this person that you're at work with. Let's just like not rock the boat, not tip the cart. Let's just kind of leave things in their current comfortable status as they are. Ignorance. Gosh, that's probably one. Philip didn't know what portion of Isaiah this guy was reading. Maybe it was a part Philip didn't understand. Maybe he was going to ask a question that Philip didn't know the answer to. I know that there's times when all of us step back from these conversations because we're afraid of somebody asking, asking a question that we don't know the answer to. I just need to know a little bit more. Some of us have been saying that for years and we don't know anymore and we're still using it as an excuse. I just, I just I don't know what I need to know to kind of step out. Maybe for some, you have what was an issue for Peter, at least before his vision, self-righteousness. Maybe you're looking at somebody going, they're not the right kind of person for this, so I'm just going to stay over here with all the people who are like me. Yikes. I think for a lot of us, it's, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way. I don't know about you, but I know this is what it is for me. I don't like giving up control. I, I like being in control. And if I'm going to start a conversation with somebody about Jesus and I don't know what they think about him, I cannot control where that conversation is going. You feel me? Any of you? Am I alone? Yeah, no, some not, heads nodding and such things. Like, I, I, I just, I don't know. If I knew that they wanted to have this conversation, I'd be all about it every time. No question. Like, let's jump in. If I knew what they were going to say in response, let's go because I can get pre- ready and I can get prepared. I, but I can't control it. That's why I need the book of Acts so much. Because in Acts, I'm not asked to be in control. The Holy Spirit is the one controlling things. All I want to say to those of us who use these reasons is that they're not good enough reasons. Like, who am I to hold back eternity from somebody whose soul is hungry for it, whether that person knows it or not? And I know there are times when it's appropriate to hold your tongue, to hold back and to recognize they're not ready yet. But surely some of us know somebody who's ready to hear the good news of Jesus. So let's open our eyes to see the bridge and let's move our feet to walk across it. We'll pray for that in a minute. Let me say one more thing to those of you who are on the outside looking in. And I'm not trying to be offensive or or aggressive or anything, but I'm just, I want to be honest and treat you with respect. There's some people in the room who have never said, once and for all, I want to be a follower of Jesus. I admit that I'm a guilty person before God's righteousness, before a holy God. Maybe you don't even know those words, but I know something's wrong with me. I know I can't make it right. I know I need Jesus and I'm going to go ahead and acknowledge that his death counts for mine so that I can receive forgiveness of sins and I commit myself to walking in grace and love and following Jesus for the rest of my life. There are people in the room who've never made that decision. Some of you grew up in church and that does not matter. 
Like, like Cornelius and like the eunuch, you're kind of there, but you're not quite in. Somebody once said that uh, being in church no more makes a person a Christian than being in a garage makes a person a car. <laughs> I like that. It's not about being in the room. It's about you saying once for all, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm sure you have good reasons for denying or delaying this decision. I'm sure you have good reasons for pushing it off. Probably the same ones we use for delaying talking to people we don't know. Comfort. I like things the way they are. Let's leave them alone. Ignorance. I don't know if enough about this Jesus person to follow him. Come on, somebody. Come on. You probably do know enough. Self-righteousness. Maybe you're looking at other Christians and saying, I do better without Jesus than they do with him. So why would I act like I need him? I'm fine. And I think for a lot of you, it's probably control. I'm a grown-up. I live my life the way I live my life. I don't need God. He's for the kids. Maybe other people need Jesus to tell them what to do. Not me. Not me. I'm good. Move on. And if you're thinking any of those things or any other things, I get it. I get it. I do. And I mean no offense, but I don't think those reasons are good enough to reject the offer of salvation now and forevermore. I just don't. You heard the eunuch. Here's water. What can prevent me from going all in right now? By the way, how's that for an irresistible pitch? You heard the eunuch. (laughs) I don't know if I recommend that in your conversations with everybody. But that's okay because it's not a pitch. It's an invitation to an opportunity. If you don't know Jesus and you want to talk to somebody about him, find me afterwards. Find anybody else who knows him. We'd be happy to talk you through the process, help you take a step forward. Whether you find yourself on the inside, whether you find yourself on the outside, what you got to recognize today, if we're going to hear these stories well, is that God is always building bridges to those who are far from him. So when you see one, walk across it. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.